0: open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're talking about the subject of hope. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us that when all the supernatural things that God gives us, the gifts of the Spirit and, and all the other things, there's are going to come a time when they're not needed because they're all substitutes because we can't see Him fully as He is. So the miracles and the, and the gifts of the Spirit are all to help us know Him and understand Him and have trust that He's really there but, they, but, but they're a poor substitute for Him but when He comes back when He appears again when we see Him face to face we won't need some kind of substitute we won't need signs and wonders because we'll have Him and then all those things the gifts of the spirits and the miracles they won't be needed for that purpose but at the end of that chapter it says but even when He comes back there's three of those things that will remain that means they're eternal And they're faith, hope, and love. We hear a lot about faith. We're saved by faith. This church's name contains faith. Love, of course, is God's nature. It's the commandment that that covers everything else. But we hear very little about hope. And yet we're discovering how absolutely essential hope is. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, Hope is the anchor of the soul. It doesn't say faith is the anchor of the soul. It doesn't say love is the anchor of the soul. They have functions to perform, but hope is the anchor. It's what holds you steady in, in when, the, when, the, when, the, when the winds are blowing contrary to where it is you want to go. And, and so we saw that, and then we saw in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith that, that hope faith gives substance to things you hope for. So there are many of us trying to increase our faith and grow in faith, but you can have all the faith in the world, but you, if you don't have hope, your faith has nothing to provide substance for. And that hope is like a blueprint. It's like an architect's rendering. It's like a dream. This is what I want to see. Now your faith helps bring that into reality. But if you don't have a picture inside of you of what you're, what you're believing God for, what you're hoping for, what you're expecting to see, then your faith has nothing to provide for because faith has to be detailed specifically God's very specific he didn't say well let's you know well, let's have the, the sun out for some hours and the moon out for other hours we'll just throw the stars up in there they are so precise that our scientists use the stars and use the sun to literally become actually now they use the atomic the pulsating the, of the pulses of, a, of an atomic uh, element to, to, to measure time by it's that precise. God is extremely precise. That's how they can shoot these rockets up and six years later hit something, thousands, millions of miles out there. Why? Because they can tell ahead of time where that planet's going to be, where that star's going to be. It's that precise. God is extremely precise. And so his faith is to be precise, but it can only be precise if you have a precise picture, an image, a hope out there. Not some general hope. And we've looked at the fact that hope in the Bible means something very different than it tends to mean in, in our normal vernacular, because in, in our normal usage, we think of hope as really basic wishing for something. You know, well, you, do you believe God heals you? Well, I hope so. That doesn't tell me you've got a lot of confidence it's going to happen. But we saw the Greek word for hope is elpsis, which means a confident, steadfast expectation of something positive and something good. See, Oral Roberts had a hold of something there when he says something good's going to happen to you today. Something good that builds hope, that builds confident expectation, and then we begin to look at well, what is our hope based on? Because some people get confused between biblical hope and positive thinking. Understand this: that that many of the systems that the world uses that are successful are based on biblical principles. Because God's principles will work no matter who's working them. Just like gravity works. it's no respect for persons. You don't have to be a f- f- physicist for gravity to operate. You don't have to understand how it, o- how it works. It will work whether you, op- whether you understand it or not because it is a law of nature. It is a principle of, of, of physical uh, physics. And therefore it just works. Well, God's principles work, whether you are a Christian or not, if you do no, not everyone, but most of them will work And, 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 and the principle of, of, of thinking right, the principle of speaking right, the world has gotten a hold of, and their whole movements out there are positive thinkers. And they all get together and think positively, and as a result, they get good results just because they think more positively than 95 percent of the Christians. You know, most Christians think negatively, and talk negatively, and wonder why things aren't working. But there's so many business people out there, so many people out there that have caught a hold of this, that are operating on biblical principles, and their work is working for them. And they're not basing their hope on anything else, and they decided they want that. I want my business to go to five million next year so I'm hoping it's going to go I'm being positive I'm picturing it I'm imagining it I told you the story about golfers one of the things they'll teach you if you're learning how to play golf or take a golf lesson is you picture a positive shot they've learned that this stuff works it's called visualization that's nothing more than biblical hope But it's based on, I want my golf shot to go straight. It's based on, I want my business. That's positive thinking. Positive thinking is based on a hope that I want. Biblical hope is much more solid because it's based on something God has said. So why do I have confidence it's going to happen? And I talked last week about, you know, before I was saved, I was, I, I was looking for something to find, you know, meaning to my life. And, and so, you know, I struggling with stuff as you we were just married and, you know, had a lot of baggage from my childhood and started trying to learn how to overcome some of this and got a hold of a book back in the 70s called I'm Okay, You're Okay. We talked about that last week. And I read that book because it was very popular back then. until I got to the end of the book and realized the whole premise of the book was basically you and I get together and decide we're both okay. Danny, you're okay, I'm okay, we both agree we're okay. So we're both agreed we're not going to deal in reality. Because I know I'm not okay, and he knows he's not okay, and most likely we know each other's not okay. Well, we've gotten together and pretending everything's okay. That's positive thinking. But down inside, I wasn't saved. I'm reading this book. I know I'm not okay. So just pretending I'm not okay, it may carry me for a few days, but it's not going to change who I am. You hear when somebody comes forward and makes a commitment of their life to the Lord, you hear that... um, Thank you, Dane. Don't bump heads. (laughs) That you won't be okay. (laughs) Thank you. When people come forward and give their life to the Lord, I'm explaining, because they don't, usually don't know what's about to happen to them. They're very conscious of being up front in front of you. And so, but I'll explain to them, Look, and I, I look at the look on their face. I said, most of you have tried during your life to live better. And you can see this acknowledgement on their face. And it hasn't worked, has it? And you can see this acknowledgement. And I say, because the problem is, not, you can't change your nature, and then I used this analogy that God gave me. I said, it's as if I'm trying to take my... We have a, a, an apple, apple tree out in front. It's as if I decided we wanted a pear tree. So I'm going to go make that a pear tree by in the spring gluing pears on the, outs- on the branches of the tree. That doesn't make it a pear tree. It makes it an apple tree that has pears glued on it. That's all it means. And they'll stick there as long as the glue holds. But the first wind that comes along or storm that comes along, those pears are not gonna stay on that tree. Why? Because they didn't come out of the tree, they came from outside and were glued on. And when you and I try to make ourselves better by changing our behavior, by and this is very common in the beginning of, of a new year, by 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 resolutions. A resolution means I'm trying to stick pears on my apple tree. I'm going to change what I'm like by changing my behavior and we've all done it to one degree or another and we've all know about how long it lasts until the first, until things don't go right, we revert back to what we've been doing all along. Why? Because our nature didn't change. Well, positive thinking's like that. It's things are going to get better because I think they're going to get better and I say they're going to get better. And what it'll do is it'll give you a better attitude so people around you will cooperate with you, but it won't change the nature of things because your nature hasn't changed. Then you're not in agreement with God. And something that's fundamentally not in agreement with God ultimately will not work. So the difference between positive thinking and, and, and biblical hope is biblical hope is based on something God wants. Not just something I've decided I want and that's important to understand because again hope is a confident expectation so the question is why should I be confident? well the reason I should be confident is because God said this is what he wants done so I'm agreeing with him I don't have to talk him into it he's had to talk me into agreeing with him that's where the confidence comes from now That means for whatever we're being hopeful, we ought to know what our hope is based on. And the Bible tells us what to base our hope on. And that's what we were looking at last week. And so we go with me to, as I said, 1 Corinthians 15. Now he's talking here about some people that believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. in Paul's age, Paul's time, that, that's what, the, what, that's what the, uh, the Sadducees believed. And In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you find that, that he knew how to... He, he knew how to stir up trouble when he was arrested by the Pharisees. And he was sitting in a council with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's giving his testimony... And he says, talks about, well, I it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm arrested here because Christ was raised from the dead. Well, that got the Pharisees and the Sadducees fighting at each other because the Sadducees did not believe they were, there was a resurrection from the dead. The reason I can remember which one is this old, this old saying that the reason that the reason that you, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, that's why they were sad, you see. That's how I can remember it. So the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees did, and they got going after each other. So this was a big issue in their day, and Paul, so Paul writes this and say, if, 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 you're, if, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're still, in, still all in our sins. See, we, we celebrate Christmas that Christ came, we celebrate Good Friday that He died, but if Easter didn't come, if He wasn't raised from the dead, Christmas... And Good Friday don't mean anything. Because he's still dead. Just like everybody else that has died. And he's not won us victory over death. So that's what he's saying, verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Empty. And you're still in your sins. Then also... Those who have fallen asleep, that means have died in Christ, they've perished. And this is where we were last week. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And as I read that last week here, I saw something in there I'd never seen before. He's not saying if we hope in this life only we're most pitiful. He says if our hope is in Christ in this life only. That means if my hope See, we think, well, my hope's in Christ. Yeah, but he's saying if your hope is in only the Christ that was born in Bethlehem, lived for 33 or some years, and then died on the cross, and that's the only Christ your hope is in, you're still most pitiful. Pitiable, not pitiful. To be pitied. So what he's saying is there is, no, there is ultimately no hope in this world in anything this world has to offer, even the Christ that lived on this earth. Now here's where, this is so important, because there are a lot of Christians that, that, that believe in and, and, and emphasize the miracles, and we do, God believe in miracles. Miracles are an important part of the gospel. But they've taken the Christ of the gospels, and they've made Him the ultimate of what Christ is. So they take, uh, they take principles out of his life and build doctrines around those principles. And the Christ, of some of you are looking at me, go, well, I'll dwell on this because it's important. And I know for somebody's he's going, what's he talking about? Just, I'm not being sacrilegious here because I'm reading what Paul says. If all we do is take the, Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and that's the Christ we know of and that's the Christ we study. I'm not saying don't read them, because I'm reading them right now. But there's more to what He came to do. And we can look at the other things He did. He performed miracles, He healed people, He did all those things but ultimately that's not why He came. The essence of the gospel is The essence of the gospel is not the things he did during those three plus years. They are part of it, but they're not the essence of it. The essence of it is he came as God to take on flesh, and then at the appointed time he took your sin and my sin upon himself, was nailed to a cross, that sin was judged on him. The anger and wrath of God. See, we forget because we live in an age of grace. We forget that sin angers God. Because our idea of grace, if we're not careful, is that it means God did with us what we've done with our kids. What was that? Come on, Pastor. <laughs> well, our idea of grace is, well, all right, we're going to understand. We'll give you another try. I know I said I was going to spank you, but I'll give you another try. We'll just give you a timeout right now. So we develop an attitude that God's idea of grace is look. I know you're only human, Ron. I mean, I'm God. I love you. You're my son. I understand. And that's what so many Christians think grace is: is God understands our weaknesses. God understands it's hard being human and there's scriptures you can find to kind of back that up and support it except they're not consistent with the essence of the gospel. See, if God did that, He's no longer God because He stops being righteous. He stops being holy. He stops living in glory and majesty and He comes down to our level. I don't mean like Jesus taken on flesh he becomes human in his character and nature, and he compromises his own standards. And here's the problem. If God starts compromising his own standards, where does he stop? How can we trust his word if he said, be holy as I am holy, and then he looks at our unholiness and says, well, I know you're just human. Well, well, what does He do? That's what the cross is for. God didn't look the other way, at your sins or my sins. He faced them head on. And He judged them head on. He didn't hold anything back in pouring out His wrath and judgment for your sins. The grace and mercy is He didn't pour it out on you. The ultimate extent of His love is He poured it out on His own Son, who didn't deserve it. You know, it's interesting how you get a visual image of something can just kind of wake you up inside. Before Christmas, we were watching on TV that, that series that was done in 1977, I think it was, Jesus of Nazareth. And there's a scene in the beginning, we didn't get to watch the whole thing, but there's a scene in the beginning where they're coming, Jesus' first time coming to Jerusalem. And uh, with his parents is when he gets they lose him and he gets in the in the they find him in the temple uh, teaching the teaching the 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 religious leaders, Um, and but he's walking with a lamb over his shoulder. You know we talk about the lamb of God and the lamb, but to actually see somebody bringing a little defenseless lamb, knowing that they're about to slit its throat, it really drove home to me why a lamb is the, is the animal that they use and why he's called the Lamb of God. Because it's innocent. It hasn't done anything wrong. Here's this little lamb draped over this boy's shoulder going, ba ba ba. has no idea that in a few moments it's all over with. He's being led to the slaughter. And yet that's exactly what Jesus was. Defenseless or, 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 or sinless, innocent lamb that God took and slaughtered to pay for your sins and my sins. And everything we have in being able just to talk to God, everything we have in just to be able to understand this book everything we have that's a basis for our hope comes only and exclusively because He went to that cross. And we can take it for granted because we're so accustomed to the privilege of just saying, good morning, Father. I love you. Without having to go through some ritual Without having to cut ourselves and do the stupid things that so many people do to think they do to be pleasing to God, there's nothing you can do to make yourself pleasing to God other than accept the gift of His Son. But because we get so used to and accustomed to that, we can begin to take for granted why we have that right. We're talking about hope. And what our hope is based on and how solid it is. And yet, Paul saying, if that's all that happened and our hope is simply based in his birth, his walk in ministry on this earth, and his death on that cross, we're of all men. If our hope is in that, we're of all men to be pitied. Wow! That's to say, without His resurrection from the dead, there's nothing. What He's saying here is our hope, and that's the very best God has to give us. And yet, that's not enough to put our hope in. Then what is our hope in? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're here to find out. All right, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. No, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. That's the new birth. We've been born again. To a living, a lively hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, not through his death, of course he can't be raised from the dead unless he died, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, look at this, and what, are we, what, what, is our, what is the hope in? To an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, So the hope the Bible says that we are to set ourselves in, first of all says it's a lively, a living, a vital. The word lively there comes from the word zoe, which is eternal life. So it's not just, you know, it's not just lively in the sense that it's awake. It is is infused with the life of God. It is a hope that's infused and held up and strengthened with the life of God. See, the more you grow close to God, the more you spend time with Him, the more you pray in the Spirit, the more time you spend in this Word, soaking it in Him, the more you learn to walk through your day, talking with Him, relating to Him, allowing Him into the situations that you're dealing with, and asking for His help, because He wants to be involved in everything you're doing. When you find yourself not knowing how to handle a situation, talk to Him. Ask Him. Say, well, He doesn't answer. Keep talking. Keep asking. It's learning how to do something we're not used to doing. And it won't happen right away. You've got to continue to practice it and practice it. But what will happen is you'll eventually notice, you know what, I knew how to do that. And then go back and thank Him for it. Because when you thank Him for it, you acknowledge Him. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart, lean not to this thing up here. doesn't say don't use it, but don't lean on it. So when you're in a situation and you're afraid of it, you don't know what to do with it, you're trying to handle a situation. Ask inside. You don't know what to do with a test. You can't remember something. Ask him. He'll bring it back to your recollection. You have not, because you ask not. I was in here one day, walking around saying, Lord, w- w- why hasn't this happened? And he said, you have not, because you ask not. And was, was I hadn't asked him. But he knows we need it, but he wants me to ask him. Because that way when it happens, I'll know it happened from him, and not because I was so smart. It's a living relationship where you communicate all the time. Husbands and wives grow apart when they stop talking to each other and communicating with each other. Other than, mm, pass the toast. What's for dinner? How was your day? Good. When we really have meaningful communications during the day, it doesn't have to be deep and you know philosophical. Just acknowledging each other. Trust Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. doesn't mean you don't understand something, but don't rely on it. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, all through your day, in everything that's going on, acknowledge Him. That just means you talk to Him. You see this. You talk about this. You recognize Him is what the word means. And then He will direct your steps. You want God to direct your steps? Then do Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. It's His promise. I don't see it. Expect Him to do what He says. So it's a living hope. It's infused with His life. And the more you learn to live this way, the bigger He becomes on the inside of you. John got a hold of that, the Apostle John. Because I think it's in 1 John 4.4, 4, he says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he dealt with some stuff in the world. Because when he wrote that, he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, which was a prisoner's colony. It wasn't a five-star resort. And he learned, the greater is he that's in me. Paul, all the time he was in prison was one of the freest men on the face of the earth. Why? His freedom had nothing to do with what was going on the outside because his hope was not in his house, his car, his hope was not in his wardrobe. His hope was not in anything of this world. He learned how to be a base and he learned how to abound. He learned how to live in luxury. He learned how to prosper when he didn't have anything. What he had, the circumstances and situations of his life, didn't affect him one way or the other because he didn't base his hope on them. So Peter says, we've been giving a lively hope. Not, woo, it's fun. It's living. It's infused with the life of God. And when you begin to live life on the level that God lives, and that starts on the inside of you, it changes your perspective on everything. Talking with our sons who were home for the holidays about, about some of these books that have been written. There was one a couple of years ago about somebody's gone to heaven. I've known two people that that died and went to heaven and came back. They died and were resuscitated. In the meantime, they went to heaven. In each case, they didn't want to come back, and it changed them. One guy I know is a client. He says, from that moment on, and I've heard others say that, he had no fear of anything. Why? Because what's the hold of fear? It's what's going to happen to you after you die. What's the worst that can happen to you? You're going to die. Well, you're going to die anyway. I don't, don't tell anybody outside of here. This is a secret you get when you come Wednesday nights. Don't let anybody know this. But you're going to die anyway. But we're so afraid of it because we don't know what it means on the other side. But God gave us a Bible so we could know what it means on the other side Psalms say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints precious to him why? because now there's no, nothing separating him from his beloved you are his beloved you know he longs for you Hebrews 2 says it's the fear of death that holds us in bondage in this life It's the fear of death is the root of all bondage in this life. Bondage is Satan's control in your life. So the only hold he has on you is ultimately the fear of death. And it says that Jesus came to destroy that. Why? He took the sting of death. Oh, death, if you want to go on and read first in Paul's writings in Romans, Oh, death, where is your sting? There's no sting to death for a Christian. It's just like this. Now I'm just freer now. I'm freer. There's nothing to fear for us in death. And so therefore, instead of not just fearing, but Paul saying, and Peter saying, there's a hope we have. But see, we're so focused on this life, and by this life, it's the Greek word bios, which is the normal opera- what we consider the normal operations of life: getting up in the morning, going to work. You know, you brush your teeth. Hope you brush your teeth before you go to work. But you brush your teeth, you go to work. You know, you go to work, you go through your routine. You routine, you come home, you eat supper, you go to bed, you get out the next morning, you brush your teeth, you go to work, you go. You know, you go through your whole, and that's life. That's life. That's not a living hope that becomes a drudgery after a while if that's all there is and that's what began to eat at me when I was in our early 30's and I had every success on the outside, I had a beautiful family worked for a large law firm but I was empty inside and beginning to wonder is that all there is? is this it? and what happens is because it doesn't satisfy we want more, we want a bigger house, we want a better job, we want more money we want a newer wife, a prettier, you know, we want, we want to change everything in our life to build ourselves a, because the situations around us are what's going to give us hope and make us happy. And they never do. So we want more, bigger, better, prettier, younger, whatever. We just keep wanting to change the ingredients of our life. And the, and the older we get, the more desperate we get because they're not working. It's not working. So we turn to things to numb ourselves from it. And the Christian's doing that. We'll talk later on about people that don't have Christ because it says they're without hope. Not little hope. They're without hope. There is no basis for hope apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from Christ. There's no hope. Yeah, the economy may turn around next year. There's no hope. No real confident expectation apart from Christ. Why? Because our hope is not in this world. It's not in this world. So it's a living hope. It's infused with the life of God. Every day you get up, wow! A new day! To walk with God! I mean, think about this. You're going to get up tomorrow and God's right there. God! Not some flunky. You're not assigned a fourth level, third tier angel because you haven't been so good lately or you didn't do everything you're supposed to do or you haven't been in the body of Christ long enough. No, he himself. He's jealous for anyone that gets in the way. He himself is living in you. When you get up tomorrow morning, he's there in you waiting to go. Yeah. Oh, it's a new day. You'd have no idea what I have in store for you today. And we don't pay any attention. Oh. <laughs> Wonder what's on the radio or whatever, you know. We get up, listen to me, with no hope. I don't mean hopeless. With no positive expectation. Wow. What an incredible time to be alive. That's what lively hope ha- means. God had to deal with me, because I used to, 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 if I had been had a you know great vacation or been on something, you know, done something that was fun, I would for the next few weeks relive that in my mind as a way of still drawing pleasure from it. And God arrested me about that one day. He says, why are you living in the past as if I'm not here in the present? Why are you trying to draw your goodies from memories when I'm here with you to walk through today with you? Now, I'm just learning how to do this. I'm not telling you I've mastered this, but I've determined this is what I'm going to learn to do. I'm going to learn to walk with Him and not have my time of prayer with Him in the morning and then say, bye, I'll see you tomorrow. Imagine that. You've got God in you and we spend whatever time you spend with Him and then at the end of that time you say, well, we're done for today. I'm going to go handle the rest of the day myself. Now, if God required that, if God had said, look, I only give you 10 minutes, because I got, you know, I, I got to talk to Paul. He's next. So you got your 10 minutes, and Paul, floor. they got their 10 minutes. Well, there are two of them together. I'll give them 15. You know, and, uh, you know but I got a tight schedule here. You know, and if, if that's the way he set it up, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, that I had those 10 minutes. And then we go, oh, my gosh, I got to go through the rest of the day without him. <gasps> my goodness. And yet, it's the other way around. God says I'm in you to walk with you throughout the day in the middle of the night I'm here I've never leave you or forsake you I'm there for anything you want to ask me I'm there to do anything you need me to do I'm there to help you I put my spirit into you as your helper that's what Jesus said it's to your advantage that I go that means it's better having Jesus in heaven than if he were sitting here in a blue chair next to you Why? Because he could only sit in a blue chair next to you. Because he went to heaven, because he was raised from the dead, he could send the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. So when you leave the blue chair, he goes with you home. The reality that God is... God. God. In all his fullness is living inside of you. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 had to pray that God would strengthen them by his Spirit in their inner man, that Christ may dwell in them by faith, so that being rooted and grounded in his love for them, they might come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. He had to pray that the Spirit of God strengthen them inside so they could handle the overwhelming knowledge of how much God loves them. Because when that begins to hit you, you can't handle it. I've started to taste some of this lately. His presence in me is like, this is more than I can handle right now. I can begin to understand why the Spirit of God has to strengthen you to hold Him when you start releasing Him inside of you. Some of you tasted a little bit of that when we sing that song to one another at the end of the service. You begin to feel something stirring up and coming out of you. Some of you during this Christmas connection began to give something beyond what you normally gave before and done for people, and you began to experience that's God in you who's been there all along. You've just started letting Him loose. He wants to, be in, wants to work in your life all the time. Whatever you need. Well, I don't want to bother with him in that. That's why he's in you. Try him out. He can handle it. He can handle it. So it's a living, a lively hope. Infused with the life of God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at this to an inheritance. Incorruptible. In other words, it doesn't matter what Congress is going to do. It doesn't matter whether we fall off the fiscal cliff or stay up high. It doesn't matter whether the estate taxes go up or down, whether the withholding taxes go up or down. It doesn't matter what our government does. It's incorruptible, as opposed to our government, which is quite corruptible. Jesus said in, John, in Matthew chapter 6, Lay up yourself treasures, where? In heaven, where moth and... and, and in the IRS, yeah, there you go. <laughs> 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 where moth or rust or anything, nothing can corrupt it or corrode it or reach it. It's out of the reach of Satan. You understand, in this realm, he has authority to operate. Now, he can't control your life, because you're a Christian because you were taken out of His dominion. But if you leave your stuff in His hands, He'll yeah. take it. He'll corrupt it. So, yeah, but pastor, I mean, I need some of this world's stuff right now. <laughs> that all sounds good, but I need it now. Yeah, but what's your hope in? What's your hope in? Because in Matthew 6, he has this wonderful teaching, which we're not going to turn to there. But but what he says, he says, you know, he said, basically, uh, he's talking about you can't serve God or mammon. He says, for the eye of the, for the eye of the, you know, your eye of, your eye is, if your eye is evil, then the darkness that comes in you, the light that comes in you is Darkness. And I, if some of you have heard me teach this before, but I used to, that used to confuse me. How can light be darkness? You know, I worked, looked up the word evil, and it means diseased. So what he's saying there is that the eye of your body is what determines the accuracy and the quality of the light that comes in your body. The only avenue that light has to get into your physical body where it can make any kind of meaning at all, is through the pupils of your eye, for the, the opening in your eye. And if that opening is diseased, like a cataract, or cloudy, or, it's, or, or it's, 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 it's gotten older and it's not shaped correctly, then light comes in, but it's not accurate. It gets diffused. And then he goes on to talk about what your heart seeks after. And it dawned on me. He's drawing an analogy. And he's saying what the eye is to your physical body in terms of the light that it allows in, your heart is to your soul and your spirit. And then he goes on to talk about in verse 19, he says, because you can't, you can't serve God and stuff or mammon. And then he talks about worrying. He says, why are you worrying about what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to drive, what you're going to to feed yourself with? The birds of the air don't worry about that, nor the the lilies of the field. Look what God does for them. Because earlier he said, don't you know your father knows your needs? before you?' He's he's not up in heaven going, "Uh, uh, I wonder what's going on with my kids down there. No, he's intimately involved in your life. That's why he's tried to tell you to do some things that you didn't listen to him to do because he was trying to prepare for something down the road where you were going to need something. And we said, well, I thought that's just me. He may have prompted you just to give a little bit amount. something. Now, sometimes there's little amounts he prompts you to give. is God's opening a door by that for something he wants to do for you down here that he knows you're going to need and you don't know you're going to need it. But he knows you're going to need it. Don't you know your father knows you need what you need before you ask? So when you come and ask him, you don't have to get his attention. Jump him and down and say, holy out. He knew you were there before you knew you were there. He's been waiting for you to come to him first. But here's the problem. We usually worry first and we come to him out of the worry So we come to him already worrying. That's not faith. That's not believing what God's going to do. That's not believing in his character. And here's the, here's, the hard, here's where worry is. This is why worry is so destructive. And this is why worry interferes with God being able to answer our prayers. He says, he says why do you worry about those things? The birds are smarter than you are. They're not walking around worried. They know God's going to take care of them. If God will clothe the lilies of the field and he'll feed the birds, how much more will he not also take care of you who is his child? And then he gives this principle. See, this is all part of one thought. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you need will be added unto you. What do you seek the kingdom of God with? Your heart. So in the analogy of the eye, when the eye is cloudy, it lights coming in, but you can't trust it because it's distorted, but there's light coming in. In the same way when we're worried, it's because our heart is treasuring and valuing the, the things of this life, they're necessary for our peace of mind. They're necessary for our hope. They're necessary for our survival. And they are important for to a degree, but they're not going to determine where you're going to spend eternity. I've got news for you. The mortgage company cannot take your, your reservation in heaven away from you. They can't foreclose on your mansion in heaven. They can't take your future away from you. They can't take your God away from you. They can't take your hope away from you unless your hope is in them. This is Jesus talking about it. He says, but if you seek first the kingdom of God, if your heart is set first on the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is living right, Doing what pleases Him. If that's where your heart is set first, then you won't worry. Because when you're worried, you're saying, I need these things first before I can serve Him. There are times in my life where I have to go through a mental exercise because I could tell it was starting to get, things of life were starting to get into me. And I'll just take an inventory and say, God, if I lose this, 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 if I lost everything, See, we sing those songs. They're f- nice to sing in church, aren't they? It's out there when it really happens. Ooh. And I'll go through that exercise. I oh, if I can remember where this is. And I'll say, God, if I lost it all and still have you, I have everything. Oh, here it is. I think it's here. Yeah. Habakkuk. Habakkuk had the right perspective. His hope was in the right thing. Habakkuk 3 is the end of the the book. Verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, And the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Why? For the Lord God is my strength. And He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on high hills. A deer or hind, as it's called in the, old, in, the, in the King James, is very sure-footed, can walk in very steep, rocky cliffs and not fall. And you and I are living in very perilous times when the roads are not as wide as they used to be to walk down. And the roads are not always going to be paved and easy to walk on and sure-footed. But we may be facing times that are very very shaky, where it looks as if you're going to fall and you're going to slip where you're going to stumble. And what he's saying here is his hope is not in the situations of life. It's not in how full his stalls are or how many blossoms are on the fig tree. In other words, how much he's got in his bank account. His hope is not in his health. His hope is not in his wardrobe. His hope is not in the systems and things of this world. But his hope is in the God. His God is his strength. His God is his hope. And therefore, because of that, God is able to make His feet sure and steady in an unsteady path. When every step rocks are falling down the hill, your feet will not stumble and you will not fall. Though all around you may seem to stumble and fall, you will not stumble and fall. Why? Because your eyes aren't, oh this is good, your eyes aren't looking down at the path. Because your hope's not in the path to hold you up. Your eyes are on the one who's the source of your strength, the source of your provision, the one who saved you, the one who created you, the one who redeemed you, the one who loves you, the one who's died for you. The government didn't die for you. Unemployment didn't die for you. Your boss didn't die for you. They haven't invested as much of themselves in you as God has. He's invested himself in you. Why would he let you fall? Not only that, he's promised you in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. The word there in Greek has three negatives. I will never, no, I will never, no, I will never, to emphasize it. Leave you forsaken or utterly cast down. And if you read the context, he's talking about money, having resources, having your needs met. But what we do is we walk around and look at what we don't have, what we're losing, what's going on here. We're looking at the path we're walking on. And then we get slippery and we see other people slip and fall. Oh my gosh, is that going to happen to me? No, we're supposed to walk with our eyes up on the God of our salvation because He's the one that's going to hold us up. It's like Peter walking on the water. He didn't walk on rough water or smooth water. He walked on Jesus' word, come. It didn't matter whether it was rough or smooth. You can't walk on water either way. Until he took his eyes off of Jesus and noticed the wind and the waves and his mind says, you can't do this. He changed his hope from the Lord God standing out there on the water saying, come to the boat and the water. And he began to sank like any natural man. It's a living hope. It's a living hope. And that's why it's so important in the midst of whatever's going on in your life to keep seeking Him first with your heart. To put Him first above whatever you're going through. Say, Father, if I lose it all, and I've been there. I've been there where I lost it all. And I had a choice to make. So I'm not just preaching this because it's a good principle. I've been there. I've been there more than once. When I didn't see any hope, any way out. But see, with God, all things are possible. Amen. So I'm looking at a God to whom all things are possible, and stop looking at the circumstances which look impossible. The lively hope. It's a living hope. But our hope is not in this world. No one can take it away from you in this world. The devil can't take it away from you if your hope is in the future that God has for you. But see, when your hope is in that, it changes your attitude here. Now the things you're not desperately trying to hold on to. And it's amazing, the only power the devil has over you is the fear of losing things. Your life or stuff. Oh, <gasps> my goodness, I might lose my car. Yeah? And people think that's the end of the world. I got news for you. I've known people that have lost their car and they're still alive and they're still getting around. I've known people who lost their houses that have better houses now. I've known people who lost their credit. I was one of them. Have better credit now. Just because you lose something doesn't mean it's over. Who says it's over? It's not over until God says it's over. I'll end with this story. It's kind of like a father trying to teach his son to hit a baseball. Now, baseball rules are you get three strikes and you're out. But when dad's teaching his son how to hit the ball, if he swings and misses the first three times, the father doesn't say, You're out. He keeps throwing it to the son until what happens? Until the son hits the ball. You're his son. You're his child. And if you've swung and missed and fallen down and gotten dirty, get back up again. Get back in the batter's box because your father's still tossing the ball to you to teach you how to hit it. He's not quit on you. Don't quit on him. And when you give up and when you say it's all over, you've fallen into the enemy's trap and your father's there still trying to teach you how to get out of it and you go sit down in the dugout, a defeated failure. And he hasn't called you a failure yet. And until he does, you're not one. Why? Because it's his ball. It's his bat. It's his stadium. And it's his rules. And you're his child. It's a living hope. But it's not based on the stuff of this world. And some of you are going through challenges right now. And the purpose of those challenges is for you to find out what your hope's in. Because it's easy to stand... I've done it. It's easy to be in church. Oh God, I give you everything. And can't go to sleep that night because I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. But I gave everything to Him. God will work this out through your circumstances. Not just what you say in church. He'll take you at what you say here and treat you as if that's so. But you learn, that becomes part of you as you learn to live it out and apply it in the stuff that's out there. But aren't you glad the God that's in here goes back out there with you into that stuff? It's a lively hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that no matter what we may be facing or going through right now, You are our answer. You are our provision. Your word says there's nothing that we're going through that you have not already determined that we can handle with your grace and that in it you will not show us either the way out or how to endure it. And so, Lord, we take our eyes off of ourselves. We take our eyes off all the stuff of this world and we tell you that we trust you. And we place our hope not on this world or the things this world offers, but we place our steadfast, confident expectation on the hope that you have for us, our inheritance in the future, Father. And we thank you for that hope. Father, help us by the Spirit of God this week for this to become more and more real to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close the service, I want to ask tonight, I know almost everybody here, Is there anyone here tonight that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ because this hope is not yours without Christ?